Hello, everybody, and welcome to our daily roundup, the Rebel News daily live stream. I am your co-host, Mary Ugolini, and I'm joined with our BC correspondent, Drea Humphrey. And uh, if you don't know, today is Tuesday, August 29th. It's hard to keep track these days. Um, but before we get into our housekeeping and some of the news items, how are you doing, Drea? Good. I'm glad it's not just me who's finding it hard to keep track of the dates. My goodness. I think it's, there's so much news out there that it's uh, you're always on the hamster wheel chasing it. So, But I'm doing good and glad to be on the show. Yeah, likewise. And it's always fun to when the two of us get together. I always enjoy the topics we can discuss and uh, yeah. and just the conversation that we have. So I'm excited to get into some things with you. Now, if you're joining us on certain platforms, um, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and Getter, uh, we have been demonetized from YouTube specifically. So a fun way that you can get involved and support our work is if you head on over to Rumble and there you can give us what's called a Rumble rant. And it's a, a way to chip in a couple dollars, make a small monetary donation to help keep our independent journalism afloat, keep our lights on and our ability to bring you this kind of live stream. Uh, keep that intact. And then we'll share your comment on screen. So whether it be relevant to the topic that we're discussing, if you have an opinion or something to add, or maybe uh, a point that we're missing, um, or if you have a tip to share with us, or just a general comment supporting our work, or, or maybe otherwise, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so I would urge everybody who's on YouTube, you know, we do have a mass following there. I think there's like 1.6 million yeah, subscribers right. last time I checked but have gone up or maybe even down depending on YouTube's <laughs> algorithm work these days um, but we don't want to kind of abandon our our YouTube subscribers so um, we're just trying to urge everybody to go over to Rumble where we're not so heavily censored there's not these ambiguous and arbitrary community standards I mean a lot of my reporting when I'm critiquing or criticizing the medical establishment and that is namely the pharma oligarchs uh, like Pfizer, Moderna, and the way that the governments have really um, kowtowed to their recommendations and the push for this sort of like pharma medical industrial complex. Uh, we can't say any of that on YouTube. So that's really unfortunate, but we do want to capture all those subscribers that we've built up over the years and we, we don't want to leave you behind. Um, but that's my kind of rant about YouTube and why you should head over to Rumble and find us there. They've really, they've really stepped things up in the last several months. There, I think that there's a good competition there now between YouTube and Rumble. For um, sure, yeah. It's like you said, we're, we don't want to abandon our YouTube subscribers, but they sure as heck can abandon YouTube and join us at Rumble. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. Might as well Before support we get Rumble as well. Well, yeah, that's just it. Show show the those in charge that hey, we there's a need for this platform. There's a public interest. There's a public want, a desire, a need, and um, really hold their feet to the fire and and show YouTube that what they're doing is wrong and that mm -hmm. people are intelligent enough that they can garner information and decipher and discern for themselves. It doesn't all need to be labeled as this scary misinformation um, and silenced and squashed. So. Yeah, I think that's important to put your money where your mouth is. Um, and by by doing that, by giving us showing us support on Rumble, that's that's exactly what you're doing. 
So before we get into some of the news items, I want to quickly just touch on our campaign we have at fixourcities.com. David Menzies recently traveled last (laughs) week to a South Riverdale uh, Community Health Centre, which was the scene of a really horrific crime about a month ago. Um, a woman, an innocent bystander, a mother of two, was walking by this safe injection site that's housed at the South Riverdale Community Centre. And gun gunshots broke out. There was some sort of, I think, gang, definitely drug-related um, gun violence unfolded. And she was hit with one of the stray bullets and she, she died. Um, and so this has really shone a light on the issue of not only these these so-called safe injection sites, but the crime and the violence that seems to follow in their midst. Uh, so David had a billboard truck. We we bought a billboard truck and we drove it out to circle around the South Riverdale Community Center, um, where it, it was essentially calling on the CEO Jason Altenberg, the CEO of the uh, South Riverdale Community Center, to resign amid the arrest of one of the workers of this healthcare center. I'm just looking for her name here in the report. Um, It's uh, 23-year-old Kalila Zara Mohammed. So she, Mm. as I believe it's two weeks ago now, uh, she was charged by the Toronto Police Services. This is the South Riverdale uh, Community Centers in Toronto, if I didn't mention that already. And she has been charged with accessory after the fact and obstruction of justice concerning this particular shooting and this violent unfolding at the South Riverdale Community Center. And she was actually featured, uh, David mentions it in the written component of his report on this. And I don't know if we can pull uh, the report itself up on screen or maybe show some visuals of the billboard truck. But um, she was featured in a glowing CBC News report last year in which she advocated for more drug consumption sites in order to reduce the stigma, right? It's all about reducing that stigma. Um, So if you see kind of the writing on the wall and you're concerned, you know, the town that I'm originally from, I live just on the outskirts now, but in Coburg, uh, there's David Menzies with the billboard truck in the background. And I guess there was some sort of they were trying to trespass him from the public sidewalk. And yeah, there's the woman, Kalila Mohammed, that was arrested in relation to the shooting. Um, uh, again, charged for accessory. You know, these are unproven charges at this point, innocent until proven guilty. I think we're still upholding that <laughs> rule of law. <laughs> it depends. But, um, it depends what it is. Yeah. So, so she has now been charged with, as I said, accessory and, um, and and the other charge there that uh, oh where's the report I, I want to make sure I get the word the wording right um, on that and obstruction of justice that's right but you know these these little um, safe inject injection sites if they're not popping up as like a, a controlled formalized thing they're popping up as unsanctioned overdose prevention sites the little town that I'm originally from Coburg it has been the um, the site of one of these unsanctioned overdose prevention sites. And uh, there's been now a homeless campment has has ensued. And there was also a shooting there three weeks ago, which is generally unheard of in this small, you know, used to be like a sleepy town coined Ontario's feel good town. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that it's feeling so good anymore. So anyway, if you want to support our work on exposing this criminality that's infiltrating our cities. Um, this out of control crime, open air drug use, 
then you can do that at fixourcities.com. There's a petition there. And of course, to help cover the expenses of, for instance, that billboard truck to go and circle around the South Riverdale Community Center, because I think it's so important, as you see the mainstream media, either ignoring this completely or um, spinning it in another way that the that this is somehow like we should have compassionate care. And that's not to say that we shouldn't, but we also need to be very realistic here that crime and violence is unacceptable. And mm-hmm. um, offering, you know, harm reduction to drug addicts without the, instilling those first pillars of, of drug abuse first, like prevention. Um, I think that this needs to be discussed more broadly because it will come to a city near you, as we've seen, um, even in my city, that it, you're not immune to this unfolding. And I mean, Drea, in British Columbia, I mean, they've been at this harm reduction strategy for what, almost 30 years now, and it's only getting worse. Nothing's gotten any better. Yeah, you're right. It is only getting worse. Um, and even as we've totally upped that game, if you will, in the last six months or so, um, our overdoses are still higher than before. So it certainly isn't the answer. And like you said, there's more pillars. It's a multi-pronged approach. But just back to the truck for uh, another point there, you're right. The most people are getting this message from, you know, state choice media, reduce the stigma, this is all good, you know, this is the way to go. And so that's why the, something like the billboard truck is so important, because it's just that reminder that like, hey, there's another side of the story for the people in the area that really have the power if something like this is in your community, it is those people who need to speak up. And I think, mm-hmm. um, if, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've come close to covering the cost of putting that truck out. Um, so what I love about being a journalist for Rebel News is when there are some really big injustices happening, we do act. And of course, we can't do any of that without your help. So if you have it in you to throw a few bucks, a coffee's worth or whatever towards uh, recouping the cost to do that and have that message out for the people and sort of counteract the uh, sweeping narrative about uh, these places and the crime that's attached to them, that would be great. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Drea, for driving that home. I mean, it just, just, and I know this isn't part of the topics we were originally going to discuss, and we're going to get to those, but um, it reminds me of that campaign. I think it was the late 80s, maybe even into the early 90s, where it was like this scrambled egg um, in a frying pan, and it, it was a, yeah. a prevention commercial and tactic, yeah. right? It was a whole campaign, your brain on drugs. I remember. And yeah. I, I posted um, I posted a little video, if we can just like show that, I don't know, it's a 30 second clip. I think it was some sort of a commercial. Um, but I, I clearly remember. remember that as a child, like this is your brain on drugs, don't use drugs. And we seem to have just completely yeah. disregarded um, yeah. this idea of prevention for upholding this one lone concept of harm reduction. And again, yeah. as it as it's unfolded in BC, it doesn't seem to have reduced very much harm. Um, so obviously it's not working and we should maybe go back to this scrambled egg mantra of this is your brain no, let's see on it. drugs. <laughs> I don't okay, know. last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. <laughs> Any questions? I love it.
It's so simple, Just, right? Just drive it home. And, you know, even if that keeps some kids away from drugs for one to two years, you don't know what effect that could have on their life, right? So you're right. We absolutely need to get back to the basis, crack an egg. I don't know. Did that stop kids from liking eggs too, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a really good metaphor. I mean, your brain will literally yeah. be scrambled on yeah. drugs. Yeah. So stay away from them. Keep your brain intact. Um, you want to be able to think coherently, act uh, appropriately. And you can't do that when you're using illicit drugs. It's why they're, you know, they're illicit for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that they're extremely well. addictive. And I mean, you can see the demise, right? That's why we've launched the campaign at Fix Our Cities. You can see the demise of places where these harm reduction strategies have been a failed effort for over the course of decades. And you can see the violence and the crime that ensues. I actually wrote a piece on uh, Fix Our Cities. Uh, you can That's kind of a, a nice host page is what I'll, I guess I'll call it, where you can find all of our reports as well that tie into that particular topic at fixourcities.com. And um, it's down a little bit. Oh, maybe it's not on the main page anymore. But anyway, um, you know, here it is. Safe consumption sites aren't safe after all. And it was in relation to that South Riverdale Community Center and the employee now being charged as part of that that crime, the murder. Um, and it makes me wonder not only, you know, that happened, but how much now of this these harm reduction workers will be liable one day if, you know, if harm does happen, whether that be violence, overdose, death, whatever, um, is this going to set a very strong precedent now where harm reduction employees who advocate for this can be held liable? And so the whole article is really just about tying in um, the uptick in crime and violence in that neighborhood uh, since the launch of this South Riverdale Community Center. I think they, if I recall correctly, it was 2016 that it came out. Um, or that it was established, rather. Anyway, uh, so I would just urge people to to have a look at that. And there's lots of links in there if you want to research further. Um, but anyway, that's our little rant on Fix Our Cities because it will be coming to a city or a town near you unless we get loud and stand against what is happening here with this idea of, of harm reduction and compassionate care because we can be compassionate, but we have to recognize what the real issue is here. And um, I think I think by not working on those other pillars of reduction of drug abuse, we're really missing the bar. Um, yeah. All right. So. Our first topic here is, well, the... Trigger warning. Trigger <laughs> warning. Trudeau's face may be shown. <laughs> um, we have a CTV news article here where Trudeau is seeking the advice of youth on pressing concerns to inform future policy. I mean, really, the headline is just quite telling there. Um, but the opening paragraph says, the prime minister is meeting with his youth advisory board this week to hear its most pressing concerns with the aim of informing future policy decisions. It is the first in-person meeting of this cohort of the Prime Minister's Youth Council. Its new members have been in place since February of this year. And I guess mm -hmm. this apparently plays a crucial role as a fundamental platform for the Prime Minister, members of Parliament and senior government officials to consult and gather insights as well as for youth to share their perspectives, priorities and ideas. Reads a government yeah. press release about the meeting. I think that Trudeau needs to, to, to cater to the youth because everybody who actually knows a thing or two about sustaining their life and their livelihood and the economy um, mm -hmm. is part of the heckling group that we see follow him all throughout the country, coast to coast to coast. <laughs> like, exactly, it's really yeah. sad. 
I mean, there is something to be said with looking to the youth. I mean, they are the way of the future. So I get that. Um, I tried to look up like who exactly is the youth council. Like I wanted to see some faces, names, why they were chosen. Um, I, I just did that this morning and I, I couldn't come across it quickly in the little bit of time that I had for it. But it would be interesting. It says it's not a nonpartisan. Oh, you found the look. Of course you did. <laughs> um, it, uh, it's supposed to be a nonpartisan group do we can we show those pictures or anything like that but I would like to dig more in on who uh is in that here they group. are so if you just click open the cohort six so that's okay that's in the state yeah let's see there oh we there go. we are there they are okay so yeah oh, oh you got someone from Alberta student at Dartmouth so yeah it's very interesting that I, I actually hadn't even heard of the council before but apparently it plays a big role and so I want to know, are these people in fact nonpartisan? What do you think? Right. Well, I, I think that because they're clearly youth, right? So these are under yeah, 20. Um, and so they've been heavily indoctrinated over the last yeah. several years of their lives by the education system. And so um, I think it would be, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who is um, impartial on the political spectrum coming out of that kind of system at this point. It looks like all of this, the current members are, are college or university um, students. So it doesn't look like he's soliciting, uh, or the government rather, is soliciting um, a broad spectrum of youth. These are very much youth that have gone through a certain set of systems are mm -hmm. in university and or college. Um, I hate to use the word privileged, but I mean, these are, you know, obviously privileged upper middle class children. And maybe the best people to talk about future policy too would be a more broad array of demographic and not just strictly university students or students at all. I mean, gosh, I remember when I was 18, uh, going into, I think my second, third year of university. Yeah. I had, I didn't have a clue. You don't really have a clue until you, you know, become a homeowner, start having kids, start having responsibility, having to keep a roof over your head, having to feed people and mm -hmm. have lives depend on you. This, uh, I don't know that these people really have much of a clue. Well, that's the thing. How much weight should they have? And what would Trudeau have said when he was youth? Has he changed a lot? They came across a video, actually, somebody posted in, on Twitter in response to this. I think I shared it in the link. It's really quick, but it's just funny to see how, how his views have changed. Is there anything you've learned from the experiences that both your parents have gone through? Mm -hmm. Nothing I should talk about on camera, I think. Ah, the politician already. Mm. No, never, 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 yeah, an actual small fringe minority elected him, and they also elected the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, and now the two have formed this unofficial coalition so they can basically just ram through whatever it is they see fit for our once free and democratic nation and not listen to anything that the opposition has to say, who is only increasing. The opposition is is polling, um, has 
is increasing yeah. in the polling repeatedly week by week, um, outpacing the, the liberals. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that it speaks volumes as to why when, well, let's show you this clip here of Trudeau um, thinking, I guess he thinks he wakes up every day thinking about how he can make life more affordable for Canadians and as a trust fund baby in his ivory tower. Um, and this will speak volumes as to why I think he's lagging in the polls. The disasters we're facing as a world are not just bad luck. Of that, there is no question. They are being driven by climate change and nature loss. The question is, right. therefore, what are we to do about it? Tax. Some, including some politicians, have tried to sell us on ignoring the environmental crisis, whether that's climate change, biodiversity loss, or pollution. Or they say that we have to choose between making people's lives more affordable on the one hand or protecting our planet on the other. Well, that's just plain wrong. I wake up every day and think about how I can help make life more affordable for Canadian families. That's what our grocery rebate or our work to build housing or our $10 a day childcare is all about. And I also wake up every day and think about how to keep people safe from things like wildfires and how to protect the world that our kids and grandkids will inherit. These goals don't contradict each other. In fact, working on one must help us achieve the other. And I'm not just talking about how our pollution pricing cuts emissions while putting money back in people's pockets. Although, of course, it does. What? <laughs> There's so much wrong. At first, I was like, yeah, you're on the right track for once. He's like, all of these ha things happening at once are not a coincidence. And then he's like, it's climate change. But it's funny, if anybody else says something isn't a coincidence and they have a, a theory they're automatically conspiracy theorists with him as well, right? But how is the climate tax going to put more money in our pocket? He knows that everybody's concerned about it. It's so infuriating. And then he goes to wildfire and says that it's going to fix the wildfires. Well, how about you just stick to the promise that you made on the campaign trail in 2021? The Trudeau Liberals promised to spend $500 million to get Canada, firefighters across the country, uh, everything they needed for the next fire seasons. When we look at Northwest Territories in BC, that didn't happen. Um, I have another report coming up to show that where the money has gone and he hasn't even put out half of that money towards it. And so it's like, yeah, we'll use the taxes to make up for our broken promises if we're even lucky enough to have that happen. I think at this point, the Liberals just mostly campaign on broken promises. You can pretty much yeah. use that as a fail-safe. So whatever they say um, is either going to be the exact opposite or just a complete failure. I mean, Canadians don't want $10 a day childcare. They don't want a grocery rebate. They want to just have the money to be able to afford groceries yeah. 
and childcare if they need it, or they want to be able to afford for the one of the parents to stay home with their children. Um, forcing both parents into the workplace, making life so unaffordable that even if both parents work full time, robust schedules, they still can't make ends meet. This isn't the sign of a good government. That's not the sign of a strong, healthy economy. Having a grocery rebate for people because they literally can't afford to feed their children fruits and vegetables, uh, mm -hmm. that is a sign that your government has failed. It's not a good thing to be pushing out these kind of rebates and these, these credits while you continue to increase your carbon tax, which I don't know, have we ever been shown how, met, how many degrees of cooling the carbon tax is going to make the earth by <laughs> even the next three years from now? Um, it's all absolutely absurd and ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, as, as the floodgates continue to be open for our immigration strategy under the Justin Trudeau liberals, um, we now see in the mainstream media that migrants in particular this uh, will this report features syrian migrants um they're complaining that canada isn't living up to what they were promised when they were told to come here like have a look at this clip mohammed al-shawa brings us into his hotel room stacks of clothes in the corner and their own blankets on the beds this is the room where he his wife and three children have been living for a month they came here like for uh to be like a Canadian, to be like good future, but it's not. They treat them like an animal. Al-Shoa is from Syria, but arrived from Lebanon. Speaking with a translator, he says he's asked for a second room, but was told it's not possible. So the way out is to find an affordable home, which he says is a challenge. He needs three bedrooms. So they give him $3,000. Okay, tell him, okay, you have to find a home as soon as he can for three months. After that, they're going to kick him out. Mohamed Ridi, a civil engineer from Syria, has similar financial concerns for his young family. Give him like 1779 like a salary every month. The, the money they, they give to them is not enough. No. Especially when he look at, looking out for an apartment or a house. His wife also had a miscarriage shortly after they arrived and needed urgent surgery. But Reedy says they weren't given translation services. They need someone to help him, like special translator, like for a hospital, for emergency. CTV News reached out to Costi, the organization assisting refugees here. A spokesperson told us Costi ensures that interpretation services are provided whenever they are requested by our clients. Refugees across the city have been facing challenges. Last month, dozens, mainly from African countries, were left sleeping on Peter Street until local churches opened their doors to give them temporary shelter. All levels of government have been at a funding stalemate. Last month, the federal government promised nearly $100 million for the city of Toronto. The federal government will be there, uh, but when it comes uh, to settling asylum seekers, again, municipalities and provinces have uh, the large part of responsibility on that. Al-Shoa says if he'd known this is how his family would be living, he never would have come. If right now they told him, okay, you have to go back, you say, okay, I will, because here's nothing to help her. Alison Hurst, CTV. Yeah, I, I so... I have one question. Did you catch whether he said that they're receiving a salary of $1,779 or they're wanting that? That's what they're receiving from what yeah, I gathered. And it's not yeah. enough. Oh my God. No, um, but at the same point in time, welcome to Canada, where 
everyday Canadians are struggling with the exact same thing and uh, are not getting, you know, a $3,000, here's your first and last, go find a suitable place, which is pretty much impossible where I am in Ontario, well, across Ontario, probably in general, unless you're going up extremely far north. Um, This is obviously a result of a not well thought out failed government policy of, like I said, opening the floodgates to mass uh, migration uh, and refugees. If you don't have the capacity and you don't have the framework in place to properly assist people, then why are you offering assistance in the first place? It's obviously an an inept failure by the federal government. And then, but it also ricochets down into the other levels of government from the provincial down to the municipal. And it really reminds me of that time. Like it was really funny to see true Joe respond that way because remember when he responded to a veteran asking why the government doesn't help them with their medical bills and their housing and all of the issues that came as a result of them literally serving and defending our country and Trudeau said um, oh you're asking for more than we're willing to give or more than we're prepared to give whatever his exact wording was and yet here you have refugees that aren't even Canadians that didn't serve our country to defend mm-hmm. and protect it. And he is saying, oh, the, the federal government will be there, will be there. This is so backwards. It is, I, I don't even have any words really to say how backwards that is from a veteran to a refugee. I'm all about helping people, right. but you need to be, you know, you fill your cup first, right? It's, you can't help, yeah. you can't, you can't help anybody from an empty cup. And that's what we're trying to do here. And it's obviously just failing both the, the refugees and everyday Canadians who are similarly in a place of struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you made that comparison because it just shows how messed up this whole situation. And I think the goal is, uh, am I right? Is it like a hundred thousand more or something like that? They're saying that because we're going to have like a slow and burst that this is the answer to it. <laughs> Meanwhile, they have posters up in Vancouver saying only have one child. Um, but even that person, it's like we're catfishing these people. They think they're coming to some glorious place of financial freedom and prosperity. And you're right, we're suffering. A lot of people don't have that money. I remember as a child living in some pretty tight situations, sometimes we had to live with other people because we didn't have somewhere to stay, but we didn't expect the government uh, to come to our rescue and and give us a salary. Um, But they're literally saying, if I had known this, I wouldn't have come, which Mm -hmm, begs mm -hmm. the other question, how how bad is it where you're coming from? And I know we've done uh, reports. I'm forgetting the URL, migrantreports.com, maybe mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. something like that, um, where we're showing that a lot of these asylum seekers are coming here in different ways. They're coming here on visas and never leaving. And as soon as they come here on sort of a visitor's visa or whatever, ever, they're already put up into hotels, um, even in British Columbia out here in the Abbotsford area. And I believe the Richmond area, you know, they're put in suites and hotels and they get everything that they would need at the moment and of course it's stressful for them uh, because it's like yeah welcome to the life of Canadians Uh, 30 year olds are still living with their parents there's no way they can afford rent let alone a household Uh, families are renting places together out in Vancouver it's very popular to be charged uh, you know $700 for to share one room in a house or more than 700 sometimes it's a bunk bed um, so this is ridiculous and it ap- absolutely reflects on the Trudeau government and it needs to stop. We need to do something drastic because this can't keep piling on. I mean, we really need to rein it in. 
Mm-hmm. It really is pile, piling up and uh, re- no end in sight. And that's the really um, concerning, ma- major concern um, of this. I'm just going to read two really quick super chats and we'll go to a quick ad break and come back to some trigger warning again, Christia Freeland videos. Fraser <laughs> uh, <laughs> McBurney, thank you, Fraser, for your support. It says Biden is not in charge of the executive branch of government, but who is? Obama is. That is why they want to jail Trump. The DMs, uh, the Democratic, the, the the Dems, the Democrats know that they will be in jail. Yeah, those are some pretty uh, serious allegations, and I guess uh, we'll see in real time as it continues to unfold. Uh, Sharon Donner, seventy eight, says you want to make sure they are not part of the youth being groomed by WEF. It exists. So this is in regards to that youth council that we were discussing um, a few minutes ago. I happen to know a person who was slash is part of that training. That's a good point. Yeah, because Justin Trudeau and a lot of his cabinet ministers were part of the Young Global Leaders, leaders. which is, yeah, yeah, World Economic Forum, that's WEF um, initiative. And Mm -hmm. quite literally, Klaus Schwab, the leader of the head honcho of the WEF, uh, the World Economic Forum, said that's what they do. They train these young global leaders and then they infiltrate the cabinets. And so I guess the WEF, is some sort of conspiracy theory still, if you are watching and listening to what the mainstream media would say. Um, but he, yep. he literally said that. Um, maybe we'll show a quick, that quick clip, if we can pull that up, of Klaus Schwab saying, we infiltrate the cabinets, and then we can go to an ad break and come back with some Christia Freeland videos. Yeah, and if you can't find it fast, I just want to say Christia Freeland, who we're about to talk to, oh, is on the board. She's on one of the board members right. of the WEF. Young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina, and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a rece- reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I would know that half of this cabinet or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy right. form. It's so embarrassing, honestly. <laughs> and that's okay. supposed to be a conspiracy theory as per <laughs> the mainstream media would have you believe. Um, nope, that's, that's actually what's happening and they say it yeah. themselves. You just need to actually do some journalism and find out. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, let's go to a quick ad break and then we'll come back with some Christy Freeland videos. We're facing an imminent threat. A planned blackout of all news content in Canada is coming to Facebook and Instagram, threatening to silence rebel news and those who depend on us for the other side of the story. The cause? Well, Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, which demands social media companies pay news outlets for the news stories their users share on the platform. It's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. It seems the billions in taxpayer subsidies just aren't enough to keep the country's propagandists in business. But Meta, Facebook's parent company, has chosen to block Canadian news content rather than comply, Rebel News included. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. But fear not, we have had a plan to protect your access to our news content. 
we've partnered with Private Internet Access, PIA, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices. And unlike other VPN providers, PIA does not store any user data as it's automatically deleted from their servers to avoid leaks and government subpoenas for information. Their servers are located in all 50 states, not the ones in communist China. You can visit PIAVPN.com slash rebelnews and enjoy an exclusive 83% discount and four months free. Use it to bypass regional restrictions and stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world. And stick it to Trudeau's new censorship law. Safeguard freedom of speech and join us to combat Trudeau's censorship today at PIAVPN.com slash rebelnews. All right, so this next clip we have is the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, laughably, Christia Freeland. Um, she's asked here from the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, Andrew Fury, um, how the, they're going to reduce the cost of living by increasing the carbon tax. Um, so here is how she responds. Like you said, Premier Andrew Fury has written a letter again to the Prime Minister asking for a pause on clean fuel regulations. In your opinion, is, is there a chance that that pause could happen? Look, um, I take no. the concerns um, of the Premier, um, of Ken's constituents, because Ken talked to me about them. I take those concerns very seriously. The cost of living is a real challenge here in Newfoundland and Labrador and you know gas is a part of that heating oil is a part of that I think it's important um, to recognize that the climate action incentive payments they're gonna make a difference that's $1,300 for a family of four um, I don't want to overstate it um, it won't solve everything but it will make a real difference and I do also think um, we all need to recognize, and look, I, people here recognize it maybe more than pretty much anybody else in the country, um, that the climate transition is an opportunity for our country, um, that it is something that if we embrace, and we are, <laughs> That is a tremendous source of jobs and growth for today and for the future. I don't know who's embracing it. I think everybody's being pretty much forced to embrace it. Um, right. And it's only the young global leaders from the World Economic Forum, like <laughs> Justin Trudeau's cabinet, who are, council. yeah, who think that this is, is a good idea and somehow going to generate economic growth. Um, we have the infrastructure, the frame, the everything exists to have reliable, efficient, consistent energy production. And it's this government that stands in the way of that. And yeah. by imposing, not embrace, we're not embracing that we're being, it's being imposed on us, this green yeah. transition. Um, it's bankrupting people. I mean, just, just even removing the carbon tax would make such a big difference in the pocketbooks of struggling Canadians. I see, I see it. You see the price of gas. I see it on my energy mm. bills. I see it reflected in the price of food. Um, this is obviously 
Oh, another failed liberal policy, right? We just touched on the failed immigration refugee policy. These aren't well thought out things that the government is doing. And it's not them that's bearing the burden of the fallout. It's everyday Canadians and the people who were sold on this false notion of coming to Canada for wealth and growth. Because that's not what's ha- that is not what is happening in Canada right now. No, yeah, I wish I could uh, find the video. Oh, I found it. Um, And we probably wouldn't be able to play it all or anything like that. But basically, just to recap, it's this woman, she's actually asking Trudeau, and she's a disabled grandmother who went back to school and worked very hard on, you know, being able to buy her own home. And she said, you know, her... Oh, um, yeah, we played that one. Oh, did you? Okay, so no need to play it. But she basically said that her hydro bill or whatever is more than her, more than her mortgage at this point. And how can Mm -hmm. this be happening? You know, this is a disabled grandmother goes back to school, works hard, buys her own home, and she can't even afford, you know, her bills like that. So, and and what is and, with this word transition? Oh, did you have something to add to that? <laughs> well, that's from 2017. And so if people oh, were struggling wow. in 2017, oh can you fast track now? That's before oh the goodness. carbon tax. That's before the cost of living. That's before wow, the housing crisis. that old. So that we was happening, her. you know. You know what? I think that she's actually, I'm just seeing here in your link, uh, Drea, she's from Peterborough. Um, I wonder, I don't know, they don't say her name or anything, but uh, Peterborough is not far from where I am. So if this, if you, this grandmother happens to be watching, (laughs) contact us, let us know how you're doing now amid the housing crisis and the cost of living crisis and the inflationary crisis that we're facing in Canada, because a lot has changed since 2017. And in my opinion, it's only gotten way worse. It has gotten way worse. And I just wanted to talk about that word transition like Christia Freeland they keep saying the climate transition and you're right this isn't something we're choosing it's a hostile takeover it's like you do this soon we'll find out exactly what the or else will be Um, but it reminds me a lot of sort of you know the language that they used around COVID you know instead of saying uh, we're going to make you separate from your loved ones they called it like a bubble you know everybody loves bubbles kids love bubbles and things like that or we're just going to flatten the curve I mean you're going to be stuck in isolation which is a form of torture and things like that so this whole transition like it's just a smooth transition no it's a hostile takeover it's going to be rough it's going to have a a lot of consequences and it already started it already is starting to we can yeah we we can see it you can feel it it's hitting at you where it hurts in your pocketbooks um yeah and and speaking of transition here's another we have another quick clip of christia freeland saying that her talking about the government's travel advisory for LGBTQ travelers. Um, but here, it, it, let, let's let the oh, clip speak for that? itself. <laughs> Why has your government issued uh, the travel advisory for LGBTQ plus uh, people to the United States? And was this something you discussed with President Biden or your government discussed with President Biden first? Um, so, you know, as uh, someone who has had um, the real privilege of serving as Canada's foreign minister. Um, I know that our travel advisories are done very professionally. Um, we have professional professionals in the government whose job is to look carefully around the world and to monitor whether there are particular dangers to particular groups of Canadians. That's their job and it's the right thing to do. When it comes to the United States specifically, 
I have personal experience um, of dealing with the diversity of U.S. administrations and of dealing with American leaders at all levels of government, in all branches of government, and with Americans from who represent diverse groups across the country, whether it is business or labor or civic organizations. And that's because our government understands, as every Canadian government needs to understand, that one of the principal responsibilities of the federal government is to understand how to work with our US neighbor. I think our government has shown that that's a priority for us and that we work hard at it and that we're able to manage that relationship oh, regardless of the choices that the people of the United States make. I literally lose brain cells listening to her. Even as we work hard. She's still going. To, <laughs> even as we work hard on that government to government oh my gosh. relationship. This is a every prime example. Yeah, let's just, we don't need to listen to the rest of this. It's a prime example of how to say a lot of things without actually without saying anything, anything at all. It's just a bunch of word salad, oh. to speak jargon. Um, and it's just, it's fueling the whole trans genocide, like what genocide is happening, the whole, and, and, and when there's a lot of like the trans activists that say things like, we do exist. It's like, no one's saying you don't exist. Like everybody, everybody's complaining about nothing. I feel so bad for people in the LGBTQ community that, just wanted to be accepted they just wanted to be like everybody else you know and then they have things like this so it's like an advisory and it it must be hard to go through that it reminds me a lot of like the whole black lives matter time where there was this impression that if you were black and you went to the u.s you were just going to get like especially a male you were just going to get shot dead and like some people actually believe that cops were just like going around and like randomly shooting Black men for zero reason, not for resisting arrest or pulling a weapon first, which was, I remember at the time when I was like, okay, well, how many, you know, Black people did get shot by cops in 2019 uh, without pulling a weapon? It was like, it was like two or three, but the impression is so different. And then you have Canada Mm -hmm. behaving like this and scaring LGBTQ people. (laughs) For no, for no real reason. Yeah, for no real reason. What you're getting at. And I mean, oh my gosh, and <laughs> I don't even know how to lead into this because this is just, as David Menzies would put it, transanity um, coming from the United States. I, I guess we're not very surprised when you have people who don't know how to, what a woman is there. They can't, you need to be a biologist to define a woman. Um, but here we have a story from the New York Post where a judge has rejected sorority sisters lawsuit blocking a trans woman from joining uh, because the, well, the court will not define a woman, but it's because the sorority itself, uh, it, it's a minute 18. Maybe we have enough time to play this quick video because the sorority terms um, d- themselves don't define, define what a woman is. I think it's because it's like assumed, right? Everybody knows what a woman yeah, is. Like, exactly. This is Bizarro World 101. Wow. We don't need to define, we don't need to have a clear definition. Anybody can define a woman. It is an adult female. <laughs> That's the yeah. end of story. Adult female, you have a uterus, you have uh, the organs that coincide with 
what a woman with a female, with a biological female, um, mm-hmm. you have the capability of becoming pregnant. You have the ability yeah. to breastfeed and give birth. Like these are literally things that make a yeah. woman. It's not hard to define. Everybody knows what a woman is. This idea that it's yeah. not that is bizarre upside down. Um, so and these poor scary. women are feeling you know, scared and at risk with this male mm-hmm. infiltrating their sorority where, well, here, let's just, we'll play the video. Yeah. All of the bathrooms are shared spaces. There are about three, four, if you count the guest bathroom, and they are shared spaces. There are no private changing areas for when you shower. There are no locks on the showers. And it's just, it's very open and vulnerable. Oh my goodness. And this person's moving into the sorority house next year? What's interesting about that, Megan, is that uh, there has been an exemption granted for him, for his safety, but not for these young women. Yeah, actually, it was the it was some of that written part that that explained it a little bit more. But the student, yeah, here was is alleged to um, be a sexual predator. Um, some of the women and girls, there he is. There. Um, they say that he became physically sexually aroused around yeah. them, um, yeah. making them uncomfortable. And uh, there was one other point that that the video itself made that I wanted to touch on. Oh, stare, sat there and stared at them without talking for hours. And then at yeah. the end, there's a photo, I think, of the sorority. Oh, where is it? Well, you can just see the, the differences between them and the, the photo of the sorority, but the sorority bylaws, that's right. The sorority bylaws yeah. don't define what a woman is. So the judge yeah. won't either. Like It's like this, saying you can't define what a cat or dog is or something like that. It, it's so scary. There's no safe place right now in this woke world for women. Um, you know, they just explain the bathroom situation and you're mm-hmm. right. They are claiming that they've seen this person get arouse and it's just it's what a time to be a pervert you know what a time to be a predator what a time to be a voyeurist you can just do it all under this lgbtq plus umbrella and then you have uh you know i would say that judge took a cop out just found an excuse not to do proper ruling oh oh look we don't know what a woman is uh so you know i found an out i don't have to be that judge that you know does the right thing and protects these mm-hmm. women in this situation. It's such an injustice. And unfortunately, it's no longer surprising to see articles mm-hmm. like this or hear about these events. Yeah, it's it's Judge Alan Johnson. And clearly, Judge Alan Johnson is a coward. Um, there's a photo here of him smiling in the court. And, you know, I would <laughs> Judge Alan Johnson, come on, you know what a woman yeah. is. Everybody knows what a woman is. Keep these women and girls safe. Let's not allow the unnecessary infiltration of biological males into safe women spaces where they feel vulnerable and where they feel that they are being put at risk. This is absolutely absurd. As you said, Drea, it's a cop out. This is cowardice on full display. Um, The I, I really feel for these these girls who have to go into this semester potentially being the subject or the victims of sexual predation Mm -hmm. it's really sad Um, and then the victim the victim will be who who do you think is going to be the victim in that that situation 
Uh, right. And that's the bizarro upside down world that we live in, where this biological male is uh, the victim in all of this, just because mm-hmm. women don't want him to be staring at them while they change and mm-hmm. do womenly things. Um, wow. It's so backwards. And I mean, it's not not far off. Like It seems everybody is confused as to what a woman is, except for maybe me and I, I think most children, you know, this is a very basic oh, yeah. biological question. If you ask any any child that hasn't been indoctrinated by the radicalized and sexualized school system, uh, they can tell you what a woman is. They can tell you what a man is. They can tell you what a mom is. They can tell you what a dad is. They can tell you about brothers and sisters. Um, you know, it's not, this isn't, you don't need to be a biologist to define these things. Yeah. Um, but in Ireland, the media minister uh, says that the question, uh, what is a woman, <laughs> is not relevant in regards to an upcoming referendum on the role of women women in society. Let's have a listen. I just think it's, it's, it's appalling as, as, as a woman and a woman uh, as a female sports minister that's trying to promote women in sport. Um, the, I, I think it's just really regrettable. Minister, an article in the Irish Times this week by Pat Leahy outlined some fears within government that the so-called women in the home referendum might raise some uncomfortable questions for politicians. For example, how do you define a family and what is a woman in the context of the gender debate? So on foot of that article, I'm just wondering, what is a woman in your view? Um, this, this is uh, something that the, the government are, are discussing, uh, Ben, but um, and we, it's very important that we get that wording correct. Um, so in, in relation to the actual wording, the referendum, uh, I, I should hope that we'd, we'd come to agreement on that, on that wording in the, in, the, in the coming weeks. I think it's, it's a really important um, referendum. It's something that I, ad- I advocated for when I was chair of the Women's Caucus, um, that, that, that this would lead to, to a referendum. But but wow. do you have a definition of what you referred earlier to being proud of being a, a female sport minister and how important it is to promote women in sport and so on? So I'm just wondering, do you, do you have a personal definition of what a woman means? Um, I, I I think you know that the the question is 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 not relevant to 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 the, the referendum itself because as in the issue that is pressing at the minute in relation to the exact wording of a referendum and having the re- the referendum is absolutely essential um, for 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 us in Ireland. Well, I mean it's. A, Wow. Absolutely absurd. How is this our life? Like, how is this 2023? Why have we, uh, oh my gosh. It's, it's almost, I don't know. I'm a little speechless. It's so progressive. And pretend you don't know what a woman is. Yeah. Just because you're the most progressive ever. Uh, I had someone once tell me that one day we will no longer have she and he and, and her and him. We will all be they, thems. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's the goal, doesn't it? Seems like it is for us to whittle down and have no identities other than that of which the state approves. Um, That's right. You know, it's very like Orwellian. I know we always talk about 1984, uh, you know, Rebel News even revamped it. And there's some beautiful illustrations, I, I think, by 1984.com. But that's what this is. It's, you know, changing the wording, breaking it all down so that there isn't even that many meanings to things anymore. And that's what's happening. There's so many different pronouns. It's impossible for anybody to keep up, let alone children who they're telling there are all these different um you know, sexual orientations and things like that. So it, it's, 
it's concerning <laughs> to say the least. I can't believe, you know, when we first started reporting on this, and I mean, I think since I've started with Rebel, I've been reporting on it, but it was like once in a while, and now it's all the time because this little small thing is such a mainstream issue. We can't even say what a woman is. Again, it comes down to cowardice. She knows exactly what a woman is. She just said she's proud to be a woman and proud to uh, you know, promote that. And then all of a sudden, she can't even say what it is. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we have to work really hard not to memory hole things like what is a woman and what is a man? Because these blurred lines of gender identity and sexual orientation, um, it's really being pushed so heavily that anyone who's not aware of the indoctrination and the, how propaganda works will need to work hard to keep their yeah. mind and their memory intact. And that's a really um, scary place to be in a society where you don't want to be memory hold over the definition of a woman. Um, I think we should go out and scoop up some physical dictionaries so that we can keep a running yeah. tab on the, the definitions of words and what they mean and what they it's are true. going to be spun to mean one day. You know, the, I, I like to use again that Orwellian word doublespeak and wrong thing. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing coming top down from the federal government, which again, it kind of ties into this apparent conspiracy theory of the World Economic Forum. But when you have World Economic Forum trained young global leaders mm -hmm. being uh, making up a vast majority of a government cabinet in Canada, that's what we have is these cabinet ministers. That is where this is coming from. So it's, it's not only government down, it's like globalist oligarch agenda down. Um, and so I think a lot of people, more and more people are starting to see that that is what is actually happening here. Um, but this idea of pronouns and pushing it in schools and our publicly funded si systems um, has has created a lot of political divide. And um, we have the leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, weighing in on this issue. He's saying to leave it to parents. And of course, yeah, the Toronto Star that. here right? You would think uh, logic and rationale would tell you that that's pretty simple. But the Toronto Star here um, had to spin it because they say that parent, parents say they want to know. But here is what the experts say. Yeah. I don't know about Who you, cares? Drea, but I'm getting yeah. really tired of these purported experts that are oh constantly amplified by the mainstream media. And they don't tell you anything about their background. They don't tell you if they have conflicts of interest. They don't tell you if they have any sort of financial gain to make from promoting this idea or this agenda or these pharmaceutical products. Um, and so you're supposed to just blindly trust them, I guess. But anyway, this this article goes into a recent Angus Reid uh, poll that was conducted that found that this, uh, the vast majority of Canadians believe parents should be informed if their child wants to change their gender identity or pronouns at school, um, yeah. while views on parental consent are more divided. And that is just absurd, because as soon as you relinquish that parental consent to the state, then the yeah. state's in charge. And, and this idea that schools are somehow equipped to deal with the complexities, we talked about it, Sydney and I talked about it pretty in depth yet during yesterday's live stream. So I don't want to repeat myself too much. And if you're wondering what we said there, you can head on over to yesterday's stream and check it out. But if we think that schools are somehow equipped to deal with the intense co complexities of identity, 
in children struggling with that core value of self, then we are seriously mistaken because the Mm -hmm. family will play an integral role in assisting a child who is struggling with their identity. And I would argue that every child struggles with their identity, right? You have no idea who you are, what your place is in this world. And their body image their body image, who you're going to be. And your brain isn't even fully developed until sometime in your mid twenties. So, I mean, you have tons of time to figure this out. Why we have to shoehorn all of these children into these labels and think that that's going to last with them for the rest of their life is so not evidence-based and so unscientific that I can't even believe that it's gotten this far in the school system. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Drea. You're right right that like the Toronto Star totally, you know, spinned it a different way. But this is good news. If you look at the poll and what you see, the chart up and things like that. The questions were uh, whether you think parents must be informed and give consent for this change, which overwhelmingly across Canada had the most support. And then parents must be informed if their child wants to identify differently. And that was, of course, the next biggest category. And then the other um, option was parents should neither be informed nor have a say. It's up to the child. I mean, that's insane. Like children, what do we leave up to children? Like if I left things up to my (laughs) my seven-year-old, oh my gosh, it'd be crazy. Um, you know, we don't let them drive. We don't let them drink. We don't let them imagine telling a child they could pick a tattoo today. Would you ever do that? No, because they're going to get like something totally silly on them that they're going to regret when they're older. Um, and then, of course, there was a uh, not sure can't say section. Interestingly enough, um, uh, you see that when it came to in support of parents, uh, you know, neither being informed or having a say, it was Atlantic Canada seemed to have the strongest opinion of that. And Saskatchewan had the lowest. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to see how the different places um, sort of pulled on that. But also at the very basic level here, I mean, not informing parents. What if some of those parents were going to be okay with it? What if they, you know, needed to just take a week or so and digest it and they would have been their biggest cheerleader? It is so sick to separate parents from children's mm-hmm. identity. You're saying that parents don't have a right to know their child on a very basic level. And aside from all the sexual orientation stuff, even the kids that are not um, experiencing this rapid uh, gender dysphoria it's teaching kids that are learning about being allies and stuff because let's remember they're affected with this indoctrination too that it's okay to have a separate life and keep secrets from your parents on that alone you would think everybody would be opposed to keeping parents in the dark on this issue Yeah, exactly. Well, and we see repeatedly that there's often mental health comorbidities that coincide with a struggle of self, a struggle of identity. And so that's suicide ideation, self-harm, abuse. abuse. Um, And so keeping parents in the dark about these issues that may be plaguing their children uh, really lends to further harm because who's going to be keeping a watchful eye on these children that are struggling mentally um, and emotionally and, and psychologically Who's going to keep an eye on them when they aren't in school, right? School's not the be-all, end-all of these children's lives. They still need advocates outside of the system, and that's the crucial role of a family. And if these very rare instances is what 
uh, the LGBTQ advocates seem to really prey on these very rare instances where a family may not be in support or the children may not have a strong family to fall back on or a strong family unit to advocate on their behalf. And that is where you get children's aid. That's where the, the Children's Aid Society and Children's Aid Advocates would come into play here, not the school. These children need robust and intensive medical assistance from whether that be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a medical doctor or, or otherwise. But to just think that a school counselor is somehow equipped to deal with deep-rooted issues of identity and self is is negligence, really, because that is not what they're trained to do. They don't have robust knowledge or experience dealing with and helping someone navigate a, a, a core identity struggle. And that's really dangerous territory that's charting a really dangerous path, in my opinion. And that is why it's so crucial for parents to be aware and informed of these happenings. And um, and that's another, you know, this this poll and seeing the, the political ricochet that comes as a result is really highlighting how culture or sorry politics is downstream from culture right we see where where the polls are going we see where parents want to know um, they want to be informed they want to be involved yeah. and now you have the politicians coming to that aid and that defense um mm -hmm. and so the these lgbtq advocates are quite obviously a very small fringe minority and um they're off the mark really because yeah, in order to keep really the kids safe in general we need the parents the parents need to be involved and if in those very rare instances that is not a good fit and the parents are inept or struggling with their own mental health or whatever they have going on. That is why there are child and youth advocates to connect kids and bridge that gap so that they can be helped by a medical system. Again, whether that be a psychologist, psychiatrist, or a medical doctor. Um, but thinking that schools are somehow equipped to deal with this and navigate this, that's dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every EA, every educator pretty much across Canada is being trained that they need to do all things affirmative if they come across things. They're actually being trained to trans-identify children based on something they might say as simple as, um, you know, I'm a boy and I like to play with a doll or something like that. No no history involved. It could be the, the boy surrounded by girls all day. Um and they're trained to really identify whether or not the educator actually does the training or follows through with what they're supposed to is a different story. But sometimes you get these activists, um, teachers around the kids, and they're really quick. Yeah. And, and you can lose your whole child's identity. And that's actual mm -hmm. real stories that we've been reporting on, not once, but multiple times. You can find that information at our special website called stopclassroomgrooming.com. That has been going strong all through the summer because we're still getting stories about what was happening in school before. And, um, you know, I'm sure it's going to unfortunately continue. So stopclassroomgrooming.com yeah. is a way that you can also take action there. There is a petition. Um, Tamara, I know you championed this, this uh, sort of campaign, but you can sign the petition, which I believe is going to go to all of the education ministers to hold mm -hmm. them accountable, accountable. Now we know the parents don't like this stuff too. Um, so go there, sign the petition. And if you appreciate this coverage, you can help support the cost of it too by chipping in a few bucks there as well. Yeah. And, and literally also just subscribing so that you can stay up to date with our reports right. on that subject, because that website 
that web page in particular houses all of our reports on that subject. And I'm preparing next week, the week after when school starts back up, that that's, it's only going to ramp up at that point because yeah, you make an interesting point, Drea, that it happened, you know, we've been reporting all through the summer protests yeah. are happening um, towards the end of the school year, the school board meetings and the protests that parents were showing up. I mean, that's, that's really exercising your democratic voice is showing up in those areas and, and, and voicing and expressing your opposition or your support or whatever you want to do. That is democracy in the works. So uh, I think that that's going to ramp up again um, as September gets nearer. But uh, we're about six minutes over two o'clock and we have one more headline item that I just want to, to share quickly with everyone. And it's um, <laughs> an unhinged mask protesters. Um, and this came out of uh, Press for Truth. Dan Dix uh, posted this clip on Twitter. So let's just have a quick little look here before we chat for a minute about it. So stay here with us and let's continue. And let's continue to. Hey. Easy, guys, easy. You're fucking done. You're fucking done. Guys, 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 guys. Oh my gosh. Stay the fuck down. He I don't know what the hell's happening here. Leave, let, let him go, dude. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. What the hell? Why are you blocking my camera? Don't want people to see what happens at these things. Don't want footage of a crime. Oh, welcome That's to right. the lower mainland. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, and and yeah. how much does that make sense? Um, to be worried about masks and then scuffling with a complete stranger, exchanging spit and everything as it flares. Like, it's just ridiculous. Well, and for anybody who doesn't know what's happening here, and I didn't really either, but this happened uh, just yesterday on, on Monday, August 28th, a group of protesters calling for a return, if you can believe it, to mandatory masks gathered out front of the BC, British Columbia Minister of Health's office to demand that mandatory mask mandates return to the province. Um, mm -hmm. And so just moments into the demonstration, that, that, that's what we see here. A man holding signs contrary to their beliefs was attacked by two of the masked protesters who tried to destroy his signs and silence his free speech. Um, Dan Dix from Press for Truth was there to Press document the event um, and counter the lies that the mainstream media will undoubtedly publish, will undoubtedly not publish, I assume is... Uh, Oh, to counter the lies, right? Yeah, because they'll spin it some way. Uh, the truth is these people are insane and the footage clearly speaks for himself, itself. Yeah, these are the people who claim to be following the science and uh, they're okay with just unleashing violence in the streets if you don't agree with their supposed science. Um, and I think most of them are wearing cloth masks, which, I mean, we've <laughs> known from like extremely early on, even prior to 2020, but they tried was... a little bit to make it seem like cloth masks could maybe work. Uh -huh. Um, but we know that cloth masks are entirely ineffective, ineffective, and actually are uh, bacteria super spreader mechanisms, right? You breathe out your, you're breathing out carbon dioxide, bacteria, pathogens in your breath, and then it becomes moist and it really like festers that kind of pathogenic material. And then you just breathe it back in. Um, so cloth masks are not only ineffective, but they actually increase your chances of coming down with a serious bacterial lung infection. 
Um, yeah. and so that's what these people are wearing. Look at, it's all, and there's a couple of paper masks. Okay. So there's a couple, what are those KN95s? Maybe that's a, yeah, the black K, KN95s. not even the real N95s. Well, and also the oh science was conclusive very early on. It was pretty conclusive that there's no point in wearing masks outside as well, which they are also right. doing. But I mean, at this point, if you're protesting to wear masks, um, clearly, Maybe perhaps you think you look better in them. That's a real thing. There's a lot of people who think they look better in masks or it's become sort of like this safety thing that you feel like instant panic, heart palpitations as soon as you take it off. That's my theory anyways. That's what I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bizarre. If you want to wear a mask, go right ahead. I think Darwin, survival of the fittest. um, (laughs) You want to wear a mask, go right ahead. All the power to you. But likewise, I don't want to wear a mask. Yeah, please don't mask your kids. That's just awful. Hypoxia is not good for brain or body development. Hypoxia is um, a, a, a shortage of oxygen. And so we want to make sure that pregnant women and children have robust access to oxygen at all times. Um, but hey, at the end of the day, if you respect my freedom of choice, then I'll respect yours as long as you're making an informed choice, right? If you're making I'm an informed- people who disagree with you. <laughs> Hundred percent. I think that's like the really a really low bar to go off of, right? <laughs> I'll take it. These uh, anyway, we're about ten minutes past the hour. I don't think there's any more uh, super chats, so we'll wrap that up. I hope that everybody at home enjoyed our live stream. Thanks so much, Drea, for being here here with me to chat about the news items of the day. Always a good time to check to check in and catch up with you. Uh, thanks everybody behind the scenes who makes the live stream possible, whether it be the social media clips or just getting our verbiage out there, uh, making sure our grammar is correct, compiling everything for us in a clear, concise way that we can bring it to you, our viewers, everybody at home watching us. Of course, we couldn't do it without you. And to Olivia and Efron, who are always so speedy behind the scenes, getting up the links and the references that we throw to finding those videos, like literally quick, real time. Uh, you guys are the real unsung heroes. So as David Menzies would always say, join us here, same time and place tomorrow, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern for a new set of rebels who will do the exact same dissection of the news of the day. Stay safe and stay sane. So the Bank of Canada has said increased immigration has helped keep house prices and rents elevated. The housing minister has floated the idea of a cap on international student visas to alleviate that pressure. Would you support that? Well, first of all, I I think uh, Sean Fraser owes Canadians an apology. He was the immigration minister that caused total chaos and inhumanity in our international student program. He was the one that forced those students into desperation, allowed them to be defrauded by fake programs and phony admission letters. He was the one, by his own admission, that signed off on on visas for students to come here when there were five students for every unit of housing at colleges. Those are by his own admission. Over the last few weeks, we've seen an incredible phenomenon where the current immigration minister has been viciously attacking the record of his immediate liberal predecessor, Sean Fraser. Sean Fraser also put our refugees under bridges on uh, on streets and in desperate circumstances. He is the worst immigration minister in my lifetime. And what what is his punishment? He's been promoted to housing minister. 
how are we ever going to fix housing with such an incompetent minister as Sean Fraser? But that's eight years of Justin Trudeau. When I'm prime minister, we will fix what Trudeau broke in the international student program to ensure that when students arrive, they have homes, jobs, health care, and we will make sure that the programs for which they register are real, valid educational programs with true admission letters. We will audit those applications to make sure that large-scale frauds are not perpetrated against the students. The numbers of students will be determined by the availability of spaces at universities and homes for those students. That is a common sense approach that always flourished and made, made our international student program the best in the world before Trudeau arrived. We're gonna get back to that common sense approach when I'm prime minister. How in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening, and it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't, in some sense, working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster.